Heather's muted. Oh, yes. Thank you, Sarah. Um, <laughs> now that I'm talking to everyone and not just myself, it is <laughs> six o'clock. And so I'm gonna call our organizational meeting on this June 22nd, 2020 to order. And the first item on our agenda is the Pledge of Allegiance. So if everyone would join me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance, that'd be great. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. The first item on our agenda is appointments. I will turn that over to Dr. Fulton to speak to that. Okay, the um, K KSA uh, requires in section 72.11.35 and 72.11.36 require the Board of Education of each school district to appoint, appoint a clerk who will serve at the pleasure of the board and they'll also appoint a treasurer who will serve at the pleasure of the board. And in our case, historically, uh, we have had uh, the deputy superintendent, in this case, Rick Ath Dr. Rick Athas, serve as a treasurer. And for the deputy tre treasurer, we've traditionally uh, had our chief financial officer, is Russ Knapp. And then for clerk, historically, we've had the executive assistant to the superintendent and clerk of the board serve in that role, and that, of course, is Terry Wintering. So uh, I would uh, uh, recommend that the board consider uh, appointing Dr. Atha as treasurer, Russ Knapp as deputy treasurer, and Terry Wintering as clerk. I will move that we appoint those three in those three roles. Can we do it all in one motion, or do we have to separate it out? I think we can do it all in one motion. Okay, I'll move it. Can you say a second? I'll second, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? All right, hearing none, that passes unanimously. Moving on to C1, the adoption of the agenda. I'll seek a motion to adopt the agenda. I move approval, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Okay, hearing none, that passes unanimously. Moving on to the consent items for the organizational meeting. I'll seek a motion to approve the consent agenda. Move to approve consent. Was that Jamie? Yes, Jamie. Thank you, Ms. Bergman. Is there a second? Second by Ms. Hembree. Thank you, Ms. Hembree. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. Thank you. Are there any opposed? Okay, hearing none, that passes unanimously. Moving on to the action items. Um, the first under E1 is a resolution to establish the Board of Education meeting dates for the 2020-2021 fiscal year. Um, I can seek a motion in a second and then Dr. Fulton, if you have anything to speak to this on this item, we'll let you speak at that time. Move approval, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Is there a second? I'll second, Ms. Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Uh, do you have anything to say on this one, Dr. Fulton? Uh, no, I don't have anything specifically to share. Okay. Um, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Okay. Hearing none, that passes unanimously. And then, Ms. 
Is does someone have some, Dr. I, Sinclair? Um, I think um, it would just be helpful just to maybe just a few words about uh, the structural change and um, to adding workshops to some of these board meetings. Is that or are we is that coming up at a different I'll point? Be, in? I'll be happy. I, I apologize. I'll be happy to add to that. Uh, one of the things that we do have in here is uh, the addition of uh, a workshop. So the first board meeting of uh, most months would be dedicated to a workshop format in which we would provide uh, primarily, it's an opportunity for the board to really go deeper with a strategic plan. And it, would, it allows us time and space to provide reports, data, et cetera, that allows us to do progress monitoring on the strategic plan the objectives and the action steps. We would also at board workshops do routine consent agenda items. And so the board, so the format looks different than what a regular board meeting would look like. And we would have a regular board meeting the last uh, meeting of every month. And in those months we only have one meeting, that would be a regular board meeting and not a workshop. So all the program evaluations, for example, would, would be done during uh, workshops, and it gives us time to, to work with that information more effectively. Okay. Thank you. That's it gives us time to hear the program evaluation and then have a couple of weeks before a vote, depending on what's presented during the workshop, as opposed to getting the information during the same meeting. Okay, so chance to do a little bit more in-depth kind of dialogue around some of those issues and the um, and regular board meetings, there's still the opportunity for public comment. So that is retained in the regular meetings and we also have more time to in the workshops to do really dig into dig in a bit more into evaluations and the strategic plan as a board. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for bringing it up. We were just moving right along. Yeah, no, it's a, <laughs> it's good. I think it's a good change. I'm, I'm glad we're doing it. So thank you. It's appreciated. Is there a specific holiday on September 28th or is there a reason why that is on a Tuesday instead of a Monday? That is, that is, yes, we're not, it is Monday, we are off, so. Okay. Well, actually, and I think that tied into a religious holiday as well. Okay. And I think that really was the reason. Let me double check that. Give me the date again on that, please. It was September 28th. Yeah, that had to do that had to do with a religious holiday. Okay, thank you. Okay, moving on to E2, ratification of policies. Um, I'll seek a motion in a second, and then Dr. Fulton has comments to that one. Same at that time. Do I have a motion to approve? Move to approve. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? Second by Ms. Henry. Thank you, Ms. Henry. Dr. Fulton, do you want to just say something quick about the ratification of the policies? Sure. Uh, each year we have to we have to affirm the policies that we have in place. Those are all available online. And this just simply says that those are the policies as currently printed that we are going to uh, follow for the 2021 school year. Okay. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. All right, are there any opposed? All right, hearing none, that passes unanimously. And then now we move on to action item number three, which is the Board of Education Committee elections. 
Let me pull up my nomination sheet really quick. Um, it's actually, I believe, all the same folks that are in their current position, but I just want to grab the language really quick. I apologize for the delay. I had it up earlier, but now I don't know where it went. Okay, so I'm going to make a motion for the following people who were nominated and there wasn't anyone else nominated, so no one is running opposed. So for KSB Board of Directors, um, Reverend Guy, for KSB Legislative Committee, Dr. Sinclair, for the KSB Nominating Committee, Ms. Goodburn, and uh, for our SMAC representative, Ms. Jamie Borgman. So I'll seek a motion to approve these nominations. So moved, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Is there a second? Second, Henry. Thank you, Ms. Henry. Um, I'll note that we are not voting on the president's seat or the vice president's seat because we voted on those in January, and that's a year position, and the statute being set up the way it is right now is still somewhat confusing because it was set up for these, these positions to be voted on back when board elections were still in the spring, so. Mrs. Asley? Yes, Reverend Guy. Um, what about the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation position? That is not a position we vote on. That is a position I appoint. Okay. Okay. So, and that's the same for the policy committees, the Finance and Facilities Committee, and the Subcommittee on Policy. So, okay. those are appointed positions. So, Ms. Hembry is now serving on the China Mission Education Foundation and will continue to do so. Correct. Okay, great. Okay, so now I'll just um, ask for all those in favor to say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Okay, hearing none, that passes unanimously. And I think that is our last item on this agenda, and we can move into our regular meeting. Okay, so I will call our regular meeting to order. And the first item on this is to adopt our agenda. And I'll second motion to approve our agenda. I'll move approval, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Thank you, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. All those in favor say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? None. That one passes unanimously. 1.3 approval of the minutes from the special meeting on June 8th. Make a motion. Approve. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? Second, Ms. Henry. Thank you. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay. Moving on to 1.4, approval of the minutes for the regular meeting on June 8th, 2020. I'll seek the motion. I'll move approval, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. And is there a second? Second, Ms. Henry. Thank you, Ms. Henry. All those in favor, say aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, hearing none, that one passes unanimously as well. And we'll move over to Dr. Fulton for his superintendent report. Okay, thank you very much. It's uh, great to see all of you this evening, and we welcome everyone who's joining us online. Well, as you know, we have teams that have been working on plans for the 2021 school year. And we've learned a lot in the past few months about how we can provide education effectively in a remote learning environment, as well as in the classroom. Regardless of the instructional setting for next year, 
we know that we must be prepared to serve each and every student uh, to the very best of our ability. So we have used thought exchange and conducted surveys to gather feedback from staff, parents, and students about how last year went or this past spring went. And we are using that feedback to inform our planning and we'll continue to use these data collection tools as needed to help design up what the 2021 school year looks like. There are some aspects about next school year that we know are certain. First, we're gonna to continue to prioritize students, staff, and community health and safety. We'll have plans uh, ready to hold school in person with virtual options available. And we recognize that uh, there will be needs of students and perhaps some staff that require them to, uh, to work in a virtual setting. Uh, but we also want to note that, you know, these plans are subject to change based on guidance from health professionals, just like they changed uh, this past spring. Knowing that there were frustrations uh, this past spring with the virtual private network, also known as VPN, uh, which we use to ensure student safety online, uh, we, uh, we are prepared to make some changes. And so, Later on in the, in the agenda this evening, the board will consider a plan to purchase a cloud-based solution to be ready when school begins in August. We've also purchased Canvas, which is a learning management system to provide a more streamlined and connected learning experience for students of all ages. That will also be helpful to parents and of course staff uh, as well in the instructional process. We will also have clear expectations in the next school year. That includes grades, attendance, and regularly connecting uh, teachers and students. We currently have teachers, administrators, and staff designing what next school year looks like with options for different scenarios. We expect to hear guidance from the Kansas State Department of Education on July 10th, and we'll be prepared to release a detailed plan soon after that. And our our target actually would be that uh, special board meeting on July 20th. That would be our target date to have uh, a plan available to share with the public. Well, as you also know, diversity, equity, and inclusion are an integral part of our strategic plan. They are there because this community recognizes their critical importance in achieving our strategic plan goals. Our starting point in this work is the training of all staff in a program called Deep Equity. This past year was year one of a three-year initial training process. Now, you might wonder, and we get questions on this, why does this take three years? But the reason is found in the name, Deep Equity. The work we need to do as a system to change centuries of thoughts and actions around these issues cannot be done in a 90-minute training session. It is deep work, and it has to be done right. Professional development is, of course, ongoing, and it's informed by research and data as they relate to achieving our three objectives. All the work that we engage in around equity and inclusion must be fully integrated into and supported and supportive of our strategic plan. 
Having dialogue around issues of diversity, including race and inclusion, is challenging. And you know, when that dialogue fails to translate into improvements in student academic readiness and development of life skills for their personal success, then that dialogue proves insufficient to meet the goals of our community. So toward that end, we are planning next year for an increased focus during board meetings on reviewing data and research that benchmark where we are on key equity indicators and a more robust system for progress monitoring. That's one reason why those workshops will be important to our continuous improvement efforts. We know that we are not where we should be and we're going to use a continuous mindset, uh, continuous improvement mindset to get better. To support that effort, uh, my plan at beginning uh, next, next fall, this coming fall, fall of 20, is to establish an equity advisory committee who will engage in dialogue around key data related to the strategic plan. That's going to be an important community conversation. We also, as part of our strategic planning, as you know, have been working on bond issue uh, work, bond issue. As we reported to the board at the last meeting, we have about $750 million in identified facility needs. It will take three separate bond issues over a period of 18 years to address all those needs. At least two of those bond issues will involve a tax rate increase. It's important to note that even after the third bond issue, our mill levy rate will still be the lowest in the county. In the coming weeks, we'll be conducting a community survey to determine uh, what our community thinks about a potential bond issue. And then we'll bring that data to you on July 27th. And uh, at that time, I'll also be able to provide you uh, with a recommendation on what the next steps should be uh, related to a bond issue. Well, here shortly, we're really looking forward to celebrating the Shawnee Mission graduating class of 2020. We're in the process of planning to host in-person graduation ceremonies to take place in July. The district continues to follow guidance for large public gatherings from Johnson County Department of Health and Environment and we'll be prepared to adjust our plans uh, to move to a virtual graduation if uh, that's necessary. But our hope is, is that we'll be able to do an in-person graduation. Ceremonies have been scheduled for the five comprehensive high schools along with Arrowhead and Horizons. We've shared preliminary information with graduates and their families regarding plans and protocols. And we'll include the schedule and preliminary protocols for these ticketed events in the board recap. We have several Shawnee Mission students who recently earned top honors in the Startland Pitch Competition, which is hosted by Community America Credit Union. In this innovation competition, students identify ways to address challenges caused by COVID-19. Yu Tong Yi, who is a Shawnee Mission East High School junior, was a member of the high school first place team presenting HexaChat, an idea for a safe mental health forum for youth seeking counsel from volunteer qualified professionals. Kennedy Kaufman, 
who's a Shawnee Mission East High School senior, and Reed Benimble, who's a Shawnee Mission South High School senior, were members of the runner-up high school team that presented FitNest, an idea for an app that allows high school athletic teams to continue connecting and training through team fitness competitions. In addition to cash prizes, winners were expected to earn an opportunity to implement their pitch plans through Kansas City Business Mentors. So we want to congratulate those students for their outstanding accomplishments. The Kansas City Star uh, recently announced their top 2020 scholar athletes. In this 37th year of recognizing the best of the best in Kansas City area, uh, young athletes, the star honored the following Shawnee Mission District seniors. Brooklyn Beck, who's a Shawnee Mission uh, e-senior, has a 4.6 GPA and has earned four varsity letters in gymnastics, three in track and field, and two in cross country, qualifying for state in cross country in 2019. Hardin Bolt, who's at Shawnee Mission North, has a 4.7 GPA and has earned three varsity letters in swimming, diving, uh, two in cross country, and one in track and field. He will be attending the Naval Academy. Ty Lindemann, who's at Shawnee Mission Northwest, has a 4.21 GPA and has earned three varsity letters in football and basketball and two in baseball. He plans to attend Illinois University. Tyler Whistle from Shawnee Mission South has a 3.53 GPA and has earned three varsity letters in football, two in basketball, in tennis, and was team captain in all three sports. And then Ashlyn Henry from Shawnee Mission West has a 4.7 GPA and earned four varsity letters in soccer and basketball and was captain of the soccer and basketball teams. We're going to include a complete list of nominees in the recap, and we just want to congratulate all of these star athletes, and indeed, once again, congratulate all of our seniors. Hopefully the weather will hold, and we will have a great outdoor graduation ceremony for them in July. And that concludes my report. Heather, your microphone. Yeah, microphone's off. I'm just off my game tonight, you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so I'm no longer muted. I had said I was excited to hear about the Diversity Advisory Committee. Thank you, Dr. Fulton. And moving on to board member reports, we'll start with Ms. Borgen and Snack PTA. Nothing new. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the Education Foundation and Ms. Hembree. Also nothing new. Great. Um, Reverend Guy with the KSB Board of Directors. Uh, we do. I do have something new. We had our board of directors meeting on June 13th. That was a virtual meeting. Um, and it was the last one that Shannon Kimball uh, is president served as president for. So we had a time of thanking her for um, serving as the president of KASB board this past year. And KASB is continuing to offer workshops and trainings throughout the summer. They will have a virtual summer roundtable for board members on July 9th at 6 p.m. or July 14th at 6 p.m. And these are open to any board members in the state of Kansas. Um, these are a free event where you can 
connect and network with other board members throughout the state and ask questions. And um, it's just a great time to get to find out what how other districts are dealing with some of the same issues that we're dealing with in our district. They also will do a lunch and learn July 22nd at noon. And those are um, just a less formal time to hear some presentations, usually from someone on their legal team, and then a chance to ask some questions of them as well. They do have some workshops, um, including they're starting to offer some that are on site there in Topeka. Um, so there's one workshop on Title IX and another on school law that's also going to be offered this summer. So I just throw those out there to say there were lots of opportunities to continue to learn more about serving on a school board and to get to connect with their experts at KASB and other school board members throughout the state. And you can find all of these events on their website at KASB.org. That's all. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Goodburn, do you have an update for us from the Policy Review Committee? Uh, we met last Thursday. We have 11 items um, on the agenda tonight in Section 5, 506 through 516. Um, those are 11 different uh, policy, either new policies, a deletion of a policy, or a revised policy that all stem around uh, AC, which is uh, listed in 506. And so we'll visit those. These are all first reads tonight. We will visit them later on in the meeting. Thank you. And Mr. Stratton, do you have a finance facilities update for us? We have not met since our last meeting, but our next scheduled meeting is August 3rd. So. Great, thank you. Okay, moving on to item 2.3. Ms. Sousley? Oh, yes. I'm sorry, can I add um, a legislative piece? I just wanted to remind folks to um, uh, be sure and um, submit your application for a mail-in ballot. Johnson County has mailed those out to folks. If you don't have them, you can always print another one. But KSB advocacy team is, you know, the legislative branch is also really encouraging folks to get out and vote and to also complete your census if you have not done that. So I wanted to just push those two pieces out. Thank you. Sure. I, it's my understanding the Johnson County Election Office will be sending the advance, the mail-in ballot applications multiple times. So if you lost that first one, they'll be doing a second round of sending them out here shortly. That's Thank my you. understanding. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so moving on to 2.3, the board financial report. Okay, yes, uh, Mr. Knapp, our, our chief financial officer is uh, not able to join us tonight. And so we have uh, presenting for us, Allison Swarovski. So she will uh, provide the report, Allison. Hi, yes, thank you again, good evening. Um, before you is the board financial report for May. Uh, we have one more month to go before our year end. But it is a big one since we have three large payrolls that are posted in June for our June, July, and August payrolls for teachers. Um, we do see, continue to see some good savings with our uh, utilities and certified sub costs and student transportation through this COVID pandemic. Um, but we'll have a full year financial report for you um, as we close out the end of the year here in the next couple of days. That's my report, unless you have any questions. Are there any questions? I have one question. Go ahead, Reverend Guy. 
Um, thank you, Allison, for this. And I'm just curious, I know you pointed out areas that we've had savings. I'm just wondering if off the top of your head, you know, um, we didn't have the income we expected for the rental of our facilities during this time we were shut down for COVID. Has that been significant or if that continues, if we have to continue that through the next year, is that gonna be a significant financial burden at all? Um, well, luckily we had a good several months where we were collecting uh, facility rental fees. So um, for this year, I don't foresee it's gonna be <coughs> Huge impact, just a couple of hundred thousand of dollars, but um, we'll have to see how next year goes and how long the facilities will be closed in order to see how much of an impact that'll make. Okay, thank you. I might add that typically, and this is somewhat conservative, you know, we'll collect about 1.2 million in rental fees. And um, the last couple of months, we've taken quite a hit on that. So as Allison shared, you know, that's, that's where that, uh, couple hundred thousand dollars comes from. So it, it did have an impact. There's no question about it. We won't know till we close the books exactly what the total impact will be. Any further questions? Okay. All right, moving on to public comment. Um, while this board meeting is being held virtually um, and implementation of board policy BCBI is modified to protect public safety while also allowing for public comment, we actually did not have anyone sign up for public comment for this evening. So um, we will move on to the consent agenda. I will seek a motion for approval of the consent items on 4.1. Move approval of consent. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? Second, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Okay, hearing none, that passes unanimously. Moving on to our action items, um, item 5.1, adoption of the school term plan for 2021. I'll seek a motion in a second and then Dr. Fulton, you can speak to this. So is there a motion for this? I'll move approval, Ms. Hembree. Thank you, Ms. Hembree. Is there a second? I'll second, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Dr. Fulton, do you have anything to speak to on this item? Um, I do, we are, we are statutorily, statutorily required in Kansas to attend a minimum of 1,116 hours. And uh, this just simply requests authorization to notify the appropriate agencies that we are following those guidelines. Okay, um, does anyone have any questions? It looks like someone might have a question. I have just a, a brief question, Dr. Bolton. I know there was some we're um, waiting until July 10th to know what kind of guidance Kansas State Department of Education is providing to us as a district for the upcoming school year. Do we anticipate any potential change to this magic number that we're providing to them as we transition to maybe something more competency-based? I know there was some, some leaked information and whatnot, so if you have any comments on how this interfaces with all of the COVID planning. Yeah, that's an excellent question, and it's uh, uh, the, the short answer is at the moment, because it's statutorily required, we are having to do all of our planning around those 1,116 hours. Now, there's also discussion about, could we begin to move to a COMPSI-based system such that it wasn't based on hours, but rather based on learning evidence? And that's, that's being worked on, but for the moment, we're having to work within 
the constraints of the hourly requirement. It would take uh, the legislature, legislative action for that to change. So uh, we believe. Um, but with, that's, that's something that we're, to be honest with you, that's something that we kind of want to wait and see what the Commissioner of Education and the State Board of Education uh, make a determination on. So I'm going to yield to their authority uh, to have the final word. But we're, we're planning as if we need to uh, attend those hours for the moment. Well, I have a follow-up question on that one. It, and wasn't it the State Department or the State Board of Education that waived the minutes requirements for this last year? Yeah, yeah, that was in cooperation with the governor. And so there's there's some real discussion around that in terms of, of authority. Um, but, you know, that's, I don't want to get outside of my wheelhouse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave those decisions to them. Okay. And we'll see what kind of additional guidance they may be able to provide to us on the 10th. I will say this, to the extent that we can have some flexibility uh, around those hours, it would be extraordinarily helpful. And we can just focus on the learning outcomes and less on the number of hours that students uh, sit in a classroom or, or whether that's in, you know, in person or, or virtual. Thank you. Does anybody have any follow-up questions? I'm seeing none and I can see all of you at the moment. So I'll go ahead and take the vote. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes unanimously. Moving on to 5.2, approval of the revised calendar for the 2021 school year. Seek the motion in the second, and then it looks like Dr. Hubbard will be speaking to this. Is there a motion? I'll move approval, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Is there a second? Borgman, second. Thank you, Ms. Borgman. Um, I'll give it to you, Dr. Fulton and Dr. Hubbard. You bet. Thank you very much. I'm going to turn this over to Dr. Michelle Hubbard, who's Associate Superintendent for Leadership and Learning. and uh, Dr. Hubbard, along with Dr. De uh, Darren Dennis, who's a director of curriculum instruction assessment, are going to give you an overview of what the ask is and why this is so important for our teachers as we prepare for the 2021 school year. Dr. Hubbard, it's all yours. Thank you. I know you all approved the 2021 calendar um, a little over a year ago, and so I just wanted to talk about why we feel like we needed to bring it back for a revision. Um, there's been a lot of work around the reopening plan, um, and there's been a lot of work around the new learning management system, um, as Dr. Fulton mentioned earlier, called Canvas. Um, one thing that we heard loud and clear when we did a thought exchange and then we had a committee of teachers that helped support us in, in choosing a learning management system was the, the notion and this idea around this system needs to be extremely user-friendly, but most importantly, we need a lot of in-depth professional learning, and, and we agree with that. And so um, one of them, we have two main reasons for asking for this change in the school calendar, and that is one for um, more extensive professional learning around the Canvas system, because we want this to be a district-wide platform for teachers, students, and parents to be able to use. And we want them to be able to do that well and feel very comfortable about it. We have a lot of teachers that have amazing content sitting in Google Classrooms. Uh, some are using Schoology. Some are using all sorts of different platforms. And almost every platform um, can be integrated into Canvas. And so that's going to take some training on their part on how to get that um, migrated over into the system. So we want to make sure we provide a great professional learning for that. 
And then the second, um, you, we've heard a lot about our reopen plan. So we, we do have teams working on the reopen plan. Those teams include students, um, teachers, administrators, social worker, counselors. And so as we look at those plans, we're really looking at three different variations of the plans. But regardless of the variation of the plan, schools will need time to plan prior to kids showing up. And so um, that's going to be really important for procedures um, to be and, and to ensure the safety of our kids and staff. We want to make sure that they have plenty of time to plan around those three scenarios. So that's that's the why. And then I'm going to ask Dr. Dennis to talk more specifically about the revisions to the calendar. Dr. Dennis. Thank you. Um, Andrew, if we can move to the next slide, please. And that's actually their summary of what Dr. Hubbard just said. And so uh, one more, please. So in order to add the professional learning time that we believe we need in order to really implement the changes that uh, we're going to have to deal with in, in the fall semester, um, we're proposing the following uh, changes. We would like to add three professional learning days to the time uh, of pre-service, that is before students return to school. And we can do this without adding contract days. And we do that by first converting the what would have been the first two days of school, August 12th and 13th. Uh, those become instead of school days or regular student contact days, those become professional learning days. The, the third day we pick up uh, by moving what was a professional learning day uh, in mid-September, we move that to the uh, to August 14th. So that makes what would have been the first three days of school in uh, the old calendar now become professional learning days, and we do that without adding additional contract time. Um, next slide, please. As we do that, we are cognizant of the, the requirements as we uh, as you just discussed, um, imposed by the state statute regarding how many hours we are um, in school and required to be in school. And so uh, we have run this um, change through the process to make sure that uh, all of those state requirements are met, and they are. We have also uh, looked at the professional negotiated agreement and shared this with the uh, NEA Shawnee Mission to make sure that we were meeting all of the requirements under the negotiated agreement. And we um, we have uh, are confident that we've done that. And in fact, NEA found uh, one error that we were able to correct. So we're confident that uh, the negotiated agreement uh, requirements are also met as well. And with that, um, we would invite any questions you have and uh, present this to you for your consideration. Dr. Dennis, I would like to add two, uh, two more things. I think it's important to note that on the first day of school, seniors traditionally, um, let, me, let me restate that. On the first day of school for middle school and high school, traditionally we had seventh graders and ninth graders attending alone. And that is a change in this calendar. That first day of school now includes seniors that would be attending on that Monday along with the ninth graders. And all five high schools, as well as our um, other two schools, Horizons and Arrowhead, where uh, high school kids would attend, have a plan for those seniors to take care of some things around career and college planning and just some senior activities that, that typically would take place maybe 
earlier in the quarter to take care of those just as the first day of school and that way it won't interrupt instruction later. Um, the second part of it is we we have to do some work around blackout dates for teachers in the beginning of the calendar, which we'll be working with um, through the IBB process uh, as we collaborated with the NEA. And with that, I would take any questions you may have. Looks like Ms. Borkman has a question. I think for parents uh, at home wondering, does this impact the last day of school? It does not impact the last day of school. If you look at the calendar, we didn't add any days for kids. As a matter of fact, this calendar reduces the number of days for kids by two. Okay, great. Does anyone else have any further questions? I can see you all. So if you raise a hand, I can get it. Miss um, Embry. I'm just curious if we have um, had any conversations with JCPRD or YCARE about needing to add on some extra time to their summer programming for working parents who might have kind of now an unexpected gap in their child care scenario this summer. To my knowledge, we have not had those conversations, but we absolutely can. That'd be great. Okay, well, I'm not seeing any further questions, so I'll go ahead and Seek the vote. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing and seeing none, that passes unanimously. We'll move on to 5-3, the approval of the HVAC children replacement at Indian Creek. So I'll seek a motion. We'll move approval, Sinclair. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. Second, Goodburn. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. Um, Dr. Fulton, do you have any comments on this item? Well, this one's pretty self-explanatory. Our chiller went out, and uh, when the chiller goes out, you don't have air conditioning, so that's a problem. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, this is not an emergency. Um, we are going to go ahead and get that uh, chiller replaced uh, for $296,000, and that will get us back up and running. As a reminder, Indian Creek is used for professional development. We use a lot for that. But it's also an important building because when we get into elementary rebuilds, it, it can and often is a location where we can place students until such time as their new uh, building is constructed. Okay. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Okay, passes unanimously. Moving on to 5.4, the approval of the purchase of the Zerto Enterprise backup software. I'll seek a motion to approve. I move. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there a second? Seconded by Ms. Hembry. Thank you, Ms. Hembry. Um, Dr. Fulton, do you have comments on this one? Well, I'm going to invite Drew Lane uh, to just uh, provide a, a brief uh contextual overview for the board so they uh and then respond to any questions that you might have so mr lane uh, certainly thank you dr fulton so in the course of what icd does on a on a daily basis uh one of our responsibility is to make sure that the the data that the district accumulates and needs to store is backed up um, probably seems like kind of a no-brainer but you might be surprised at how many people don't really think about a strategy around that so in a previous board meeting we asked board to approve the purchase of some hardware and the board did approve the purchase of that hardware and this is really just kind of the the, the two of the one-two punch for backup this is the software that we need to provide those backups onto that new hardware and uh, it also represents a a change in our approach to backup 
in that we have incorporated robust ransomware protection into our backup strategy. So would the district ever be subjected to a ransomware attack? Um, our chances of recovering data that was compromised because of that are much, much better with this solution. And on that, uh, I stand for questions. Okay, um, I can see everybody still. This is a great evening for technology tonight. Um, does anybody have any questions? All right, I'm not seeing any questions. So all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes 7-0. All right, and we'll move on to 5.5, .5, the approval of the purchase of the Lightspeed content filter. And I know there's gonna be um, a lot of comments from that from Dr. Fulton and Drew. So we'll get the motion in a second and then we'll hear about this one. So we'll seek a motion to approve. Move to approve Forkman. Thank you, Ms. Forkman. Do I have a second? Second from Ms. Hembry. Thank you, Ms. Hembry. And I'll kick it over to you, Dr. Fulton. Great, thank you very much. Well, this is one of the issues that I referred to earlier in my report. And this has to do with making sure that when our students are online that we have safety protections in place. We don't want them going to inappropriate websites. In order to do that, we have to have content filters. In the past, we've used the VPN, and that's been uh, effective, but it uh, also had some shortcomings as we learned this past spring. One of the things about content filters that's really important to emphasize is, is that there is no perfect content filter. So in the course of making a decision about what content filter to go with, you're really weighing what the strengths of each content filter is and where does that fit into our needs as an organization and as a community. Uh, I want to uh, applaud Mr. Lane for the great job that he has done along with folks in the leadership and learning team and really taking time to do their due diligence around making sure that we have the, uh, the best approach that we can possibly put together going forward when it comes to keeping our children safe. And so with that as an introduction, Mr. Lane, why don't you go ahead and give the board an overview of uh, how we arrived at this decision and then Mr. Lane and I will be happy to respond to any questions. Certainly. Uh, thank you, Dr. Fulton. So we have to go back in time just a little ways to get a base understanding of how we arrived at the decision that we've pre presented to the board this evening. It's important to recognize that some of the work that we engaged in around selection of a content filtering came directly from the work that was done with the Digital Learning Task Force. Uh, most of you will remember that as a task force that addressed, among other things, student online safety and concerns were raised in that task force and our, our work towards this new content filter was kind of a jumping off point there. As you might anticipate, content filters are an exceedingly popular topic of conversation over the course of any given school year. And as Dr. Fulton pointed out, um, nobody really loves a content filter and, and that, that can be challenging because there are uh, a lot of moving parts in making a good one and making the good ones work. And so as a part of that, understanding uh, from community input in the task force, we then as a department began the process of looking at uh, the, the technology aspects of a content filter. And we collaborated with our colleagues 
on the leadership and learning team, specifically in the curriculum instruction and assessment team, and got feedback from them. We asked a member of the ICT department who had not participated in previous selections to spearhead this process and this project so as to try to remove any lingering biases that anybody in technology team might have had or previous work through the, the curriculum instruction team or anything like that. Um, Aaron Schaefer was our person who, who spearheaded that. And so I need to throw a shout out to him because he did an immense amount of work and research to do that. And then uh, last but certainly not least, as we were getting towards the, the end of, of making a final selection and choice, we again queried the community through a survey. Uh, many of you may have seen that survey. There were 10 items on there in which we asked our community to rank order those features that they thought were most important to least important, understanding that all 10 of them were indeed important. And the content filter, the light speed selection that we are recommending tonight is a culmination of all that work. It came from the task force recommendations. It came from interactions we had over the course of regular school years from our community, our parents, our teachers, our principals. It came from uh, data that we uh, have looked at in terms of investigations that we run around sites that students uh, try to get to and sites that students do get to. And then we looked at it and, and tried to make as unbiased uh, condition as possible by uh, appointing a someone inside the department that had not had previous experience with the selection and uh, spearheading both the research and the collaboration with our other colleagues. And then finally, again, we looked at the results from that survey. After you look at all of that, take all of that into account, um, the technology department in collaboration with our friends in CIA, as well as input from the community, would recommend for your consideration the Lightspeed content filter. I do have Aaron with me this evening, so if we need to get into the weeds on anything technical or you have a procedural question or anything like that, we can certainly ask him to answer. Uh, but on that note, I'd stand for questions. Okay. Um, just when I started bragging, I could see everybody. I lost a couple of you, so I'm just going to go through my list of names to make sure I hit everybody. Um, Dr. Sinclair, do you have any questions? Uh, uh, yes, please. Um, uh, thank you very much for this analysis and all this research to get us to uh, um, a, a more responsive place for our community. So I appreciate the balance between um, providing that safety requirement, but also the kind of user interface. And so I know that you all have been looking at a couple of them. Um, and that, and Dr. Fulton kind of mentioned in the beginning, sometimes it's about finding the right fit, you know, what's going to provide the most safety as well as being able to allow parents to do some control and access and minimize student work around that kinds of things. Um, so in this particular contract, light speed seems to be rising to the top and multiple criteria. Can you remind me again, how long the duration of this contact contract would be then if for some reason over the next two years, the priorities of the community shift a little bit? I, I certainly can, Dr. Sinclair. Thank you for the question. One thing I want to emphasize here is that the, the products we ended up analyzing at the end were competitive, very competitive with each other. When we looked at the survey results, 
and we looked at the concerns expressed internally, both through the technology team as well as, as curriculum instruction, there were a couple of things that stood out. One was uh, a resilience against bypass. Um, people really would prefer that the content filter not allow students to easily bypass it. <laughs> and the product we're recommending um, through conversations with, with other districts that use it and research online uh, appears to have the edge in that department. Um, cost, obviously, has to be something we consider. And so to the second part, and, and maybe more to the point of your question around duration of the contract, this contract is good for two years. We were given a, a, a financial incentive, and, and actually it, the, the financial incentive in terms of terms was the same between the final two, and that was uh, we're paying for one year, but we're getting two years of access. That, in our minds, really told us a couple of things. One is they are highly confident in their product. They're highly confident that their product will do what they say it will do and that it's a good fit for our district. And the second is that with the COVID-19 situation, we were not able to perform the, the, the pilot out in the community that we had wanted to do. We did the survey as somewhat of an analog for that but I think what we get out of this situation is a, if you want to call it this, a full district pilot of the solution. We're paying for one year, we get access for two. If after the first year we are just sincerely unhappy with it, we have options uh, to move in a different direction. And I think that's good for the district as well. Uh, not to mention the cost. Um, these, these two vendors became highly competitive in, in costing and, and the cost for two years for access to this is is very reasonable for, for what we're getting from it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Goodburn, do you have any questions? Um, yes, I do really quick. Um, the, the devices are all out in the community right now. So are you going to have some issues with getting this installed or whatever you have to do because the devices are all out there? Do you need the devices in house to do any of this? The changeover question. Well, that's a really good question. And the answer to it is yes. There, there will be challenges with getting this done because those devices are all in the community. We have looked at the logistical considerations and we've looked at the timeline. We think we have an approach that will help us be as successful as we can be. The good news is that for the MacBooks in the secondary, those, those can be a remote provisioning. The iPads, because we were doing a refresh, the iPads actually end up being kind of a hands-on um, scenario. But because we're doing a refresh, we can put the new content filter on the new iPads as those go out. The catch there is going to be, as of right now, there's a certain level of uncertainty about where we will be when school starts. Um, I, I don't think any. I don't think that's. You know, nobody is nobody is untouched by that that kind of uncertainty. And so one of the things that we're trying to plan for is the three scenarios. If we are completely on site, if it's a hybrid, or if we're remote. Um, for the best chance at success, I'm really hoping for an on-site in-person fall because that gives us the best opportunity to provide those devices to students in their hands. Understanding that that probably is, it's going to be, it, it will be some variant therein, um, then we're looking at the logistics of, okay, if we have remote learners, what do we do to get their, their iPads swapped out? Um, so I, I, 
I'm confident that we will be successful. I wish I could tell you that we have every box checked right now. Uh, we don't, but we will by the time school gets here. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Reverend Guy, do you have any questions? Um, just one question. Uh, you said that you spoke with other districts who've been using this. I'm just curious if they were similar in size to ours or had the one-to-one -one initiative that would use it to the extent that we will use it in our district. That's an excellent question. We did look and find a district that was similar in size to us. So actually Topeka School District is the closest analog that uses the light speed solution. And uh, they like it. They're they, they report the customer service is good. The, the content filter performs as the salespeople describe, and they're happy with it. Okay, thank you. Certainly. Thank you. Ms. Boardman, do you have any questions? I do. I have a couple. Um, so I'm just trying to think about like the benefit for parents um, in this. So just what I've written down, and Drew, please correct me if I'm wrong, or please add to this list. Um, so students can't bypass, um, big advantage. Um, it meets the safety requirements, uh, the cost for the district as well. Um, it's cloud-based, so no VPN. Is Am I hearing you correctly on that? That's correct. This eliminates the requirement for a VPN conduit to gain access to the content filter. So the days where everybody was pulling their hair out, trying to <laughs> both on IT side as well as parents and kids at home, we will not have those same issues that we did. No, and if, if I could, and, and if I could joke about it just a little bit, we'll <laughs> offer additional or other opportunities for people to pull their hair out, but VPN <laughs> will not be one of them. <laughs> Well said. Um, are there some other benefits that I'm missing um, that parents might be curious to know about? So one of the things that came back in the survey, and, and I was a little surprised at, at its rating, it came in it came in fairly low, was the concept around parent portal and parent controls. Uh -huh. And one, one of the things that, that early on we were a little concerned about was the competing product had a very good parent portal and the one that we'd selected did not. In the interim, they have released a parent portal. And so that was kind of another, oh, that's, you know, that's great. Um, we're anxious to see what that parent portal looks like and how it functions, because it's, it's I, I don't know that it's general release just yet, um, but it is it is there and it will be there for us to use. You know, there's some other things out there around around self-harm reporting and, and some, some other things that really checked a box for us that we thought was important. Again, both platforms in those areas were competitive. And so, you know, on a, if, if you went down and did a, did a, uh, a check for check, there are places where, where one has this and the other has something like it, but it's this. But those areas that were most concerning in that survey, this is the product that really checked all of the boxes and showed strength in that area. The only other thing I would say is that when we talk about bypassing a content filter, we have some very gifted and talented young people in our district. And we would like to tell you that it cannot be bypassed. But just about as soon as we do, there are some enterprising young people out there right now saying, watch this. And so um, we like this one because it tends to be less vulnerable to that. But I cannot tell you in good conscience that it is invulnerable to that kind of activity. Well, my son built his first PC last summer when he was 13. So um, I hear what you're saying loud and clear. Absolutely. I have one of those myself. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I trust you're on it then. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Embry, do you have any questions this evening? I think, and this has been kind of touched on, if, if you sort of zoom out, we are doing a lot. You know, this continuous learning exposed a lot of needs we have on the IT side and put strain on our IT in a new way. So we're rolling out new iPads and we're um, doing this content filter that I think is really important and Canvas, a new learning management software. I think my question is sort of a, a broad one that does not necessarily need to be answered here, but just thinking really thoughtfully about how we manage all of that change in a way that um, works for people and doesn't leave folks overwhelmed and we make sure we're attentive to the training and logistics alongside all of these changes. Yeah, that's such a that's such a good point. And that's where uh, approving the calendar change earlier uh, matters. There is a lot of learning that has to be front loaded in a very short period of time. Now, you know, folks will have time to work with it and that, you know, the more you work with something, the, the, the greater uh, your mastery level becomes in using that tool. But we absolutely have made a lot of changes. But I think all those changes, because they're very pragmatic and they are responsive to needs that people identify, I, I think they're going to be welcomed. And that I, I do want to echo the one, the one thing we were really looking at was that parent portal, because it's helpful as a parent to get feedback on what my child may or may not be accessing. And so we're uh, really, uh, really watching that with Lightspeed, making sure that, in fact, uh, they are able to uh, deliver on that parent portal. And, you know, that just adds strength to what is already a very good product. Thank you. Mr. Stratton, do you have any questions for this evening? Uh, yeah, two quick ones. Uh, one is, where does this fall in the cycle of refresh? Meaning, are we going to have new devices that will be having this for the first time? And, and then a, a percentage of the current devices as well. So does this fall conveniently when we're bringing new devices online? It's a good question, Mr. Stratton. So all of our iPads are new, and they will have this platform on them uh, for the very first time. This platform is not new to the iPad platform, though. So we have that going for us, if that makes sense. So it will be new to us, but it isn't necessarily, the product itself isn't necessarily new to the iPad platform. The other question you have is around probably the MacBooks. And again, we can do a remote installation of this product on the MacBooks. And so it is, it is less concerning for us to get it on the MacBooks. Uh, there are some logistical considerations and whatnot there, but it is less concerning for us there than it is the iPads. Great. And my other question is this, uh, Aaron, thank you for your work on this project. Um, you've been so good to be a part of this board meeting. So I turn to you and say, what question were you hoping that we would ask that we haven't already asked since you put so much good work into this? Well, one of the things that I found in this product that wasn't really in other products we saw was the classroom feature for teachers. Um, this kind of allows teachers to have a broad view of what their kiddos are doing inside their classroom. So on a teacher's screen, she will be able to see what every student is looking at through the internet, uh, what they're doing if they're on project or if they're kind of wondering. Um, another benefit of this is they can lock down the internet. So what they can do is they can actually block the internet for the students in their class so they can't go anywhere they shouldn't. So this is good during testing. So if a teacher gives a test out, they said only you can't use the internet, but you can use Microsoft Word, Excel, anything like that. They can lock down the internet so they can't get anywhere. 
Um, and another thing too is they can lock it down to specific websites. So say a teacher wants them to go to CNN.com, but nowhere else, they can do that. And the opposite, they can say go anywhere but here. So it's a neat little feature that teachers have. They can also uh, share screens. So if a kiddo is doing something well, she can actually share that screen to other kiddos in the classroom and say, watch this. Um, so I think that's a nice feature that's added on top of the content filter itself. Great. Thank you. That's all I have. Thank you. Um, and I just have one clarifying question that was actually brought to me by a patron. Um, so we had voted on approving a VPN a few meetings ago, but that VPN is to protect um, personnel information, and this is for students. Am I correct in that? Yes, ma'am, you are correct, and it's that's a good that's a good point to make. I know that VPN, because of the problems we had with it with content filtering, kind of got a bad name. And I think that's unfortunate because virtual private networks is still a very solid security platform. And we still continue to use it for our employees and whatnot to access things like their payroll information, those types of things that you really want behind a second layer of protection. And again, it is just it is just an encrypted tunnel for access. And unfortunately for us with the content filter, we just kind of topped the dam of available bandwidth and some other issues with it with students. So, yes, VPN will still be available for staff and students to use to, to access that very critical data, mostly staff, um, probably very little student use, but maybe some, but not for content filtering. Great. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I might add, too, that this is paid for from Capital Outlay. So this is a capital outlay expense. Thank you. All right, are we ready to vote? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Hearing none, that passes 7-0. Thank you everybody Thank you. for coming tonight and giving us your perspectives. Thank you all. Uh, now we are moving on to approval of 5.6, approval of the report revised board policy, and this is actually a first reading, and I think there's a first reading for all of these policy changes, so we're not voting on any of these. We're just going through them and getting information. So I will turn it over to Dr. Fulman, Ms. Goodburn, and our counsel, Rachel England. Okay, thank you, and I'll start, and I'll turn it over to uh, Ms. Goodburn. Um, we, there's been a lot of work done on this policy. It's highly technical, the policy committee uh, has done a fantastic job of interacting with it. Uh, we do have with us tonight our in-house counsel, uh, Rachel England. I, I do want to emphasize that as we're going at, she's going to provide an overview of this policy, but as she's doing that, and as you may have questions, I just want to have a reminder that any questions that might relate to her job as general counsel it would be inappropriate for her to respond to a question like that. And so if, if this begins to go from being just information about the policy to an interpretation that could translate into her role as general counsel, I've asked, I've asked her to please just let you know that, you know, that's, that's not really a question that she can provide an answer to you in this, at, at this time in this format. So hopefully that makes sense. But, this is mostly if about about the procedure of the policy and what the law requires us to put into it. I would just clarify her role as general counsel and that she would be 
providing legal advice and it would be attorney client privilege. So just to add that explainer and that is why. Okay. That's, that's exactly right. Thank you for that clarification. And so, uh, she's in house counsel for Shawnee Mission, obviously. Um, so uh, with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Mrs. Goodburn. And um, okay, so we will start with 5.06, the approval of revised board policy AC. Again, we're, this is just a first read um, on all of these policies. Um, and so we will have an opportunity actually to vote in July. I don't know the date yet, but in July we'll vote on these. Um, but this is the first one, uh, 506. Uh, it's policy AC non-discrimination. And then I'll turn it over to uh, Ms. England for um, her comments. Hi guys, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to present at our board meeting tonight. I um, have shared my screen so that as we review uh, the policy, you can see what portion of the policy I'm talking about. Um, it's, it's lengthy. So I wanna take us through it step by step. I'm happy to answer any questions about the mechanics of the policy or, or how the policy will actually work in practice. Uh, this uh, policy represents a lot, a lot of hours of work, and, and not just on my uh, part, but it was um, vetted pretty extensively um, internally, including with our uh, executive leadership team. I spent um, a long time sitting down and reviewing this with uh, Dr. John McKinney, um, our director of student family services, who will serve as the compliance coordinator under this policy with me. I reviewed it with Dr. Bates, who are, is our diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, um, with some other um, administrators, just making sure, again, that the mechanics of it uh, were, were uh, workable and usable for us. Um, and then, of course, um, our policy review committee spent a long time uh, going through it as well. And even at that meeting, we found some, some tweaks and some ways to improve the policy. Uh, our non-discrimination policy, we needed to take a close look at it, and everyone probably recalls that we, at the beginning of this school year, updated um, our non-discrimination statement. Um, now, um, there, there was a need to update this policy because, um, as you may be aware, the U.S. Department of Education updated uh, title, the Title IX regulations. Those went into effect um, May 6, 2020. And so because of those um, regulatory updates, uh, we needed to make some updates to our policy. Uh, KASB, who provides a policy service, made updates to its policies as well um, as a result of that. And typically, we would look to their policy service for um, suggestions, um, and we typically follow their suggested policies pretty closely. Um, but here, um, I drafted a customized policy for Shawnee Mission School District. The KSB policy structure has several different non-discrimination policies over several different series, both in the A series, the G series for staff, the J series for students, and the K series. And, um, you know, my recommendation is that you have a single non-discrimination policy. Um, that is a much more accessible, usable, understandable way to go about it. And so I, I put together what is a, a comprehensive and custom policy. Um, and also, I would just add that um, the current events that our country is facing, um, 
some of those being incredibly tragic. I really can think of no better time for any organization to take a very close look at its non-discrimination policy and not just its statement, uh, but the procedure it uses to address concerns and complaints of uh, discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. And I think that's an incredibly important, uh, particularly for a, a school district to be doing at this time. Um, and so we, we've spent a lot of time revising our policy, again, getting it to be a single comprehensive policy. And so what I would like to do is just kind of take you guys through uh, the major components. As you'll see, I've added title headings in the policy, which again, I, I think just help with accessibility, with understanding what language applies where, because this, this is a lengthy policy. But as you will remember, if you took all of our other non-discrimination policies and sort of put them end to end, I'm confident they'd be longer than what I have before you here today. Um, a lot of that language was duplicative. Um, I do want to emphasize before I go through this policy that although um, the policy review committee is recommending deletion of six other policies, we are not um, deleting out any of the protections or protective procedures that were in any of those other policies. Rather, we are taking them and combining them into a single policy AC. Um, so although those are being um, uh, removed at the recommendation of the policy review committee, um, the protections that are included uh, in them are not being removed and would be reflected in this new policy. Uh, the very, at the outset of the policy, uh, under the title statement of prohibition of discrimination, harassment, and retaliation, this language um, is, is um, largely what appeared in our current policy, AC. This is our statement of non-discrimination, and this statement is what will be included in all of our public notices of non-discrimination. And so this language reads uh, pretty closely to our current policy, AC. And at the end, there's a statement that all policies of the board and all administrative procedures will be enforced in compliance with this policy. And I wanted to include that statement because you uh, would see throughout our current policies um, statements that, um, you know, X, Y, or Z will be done in accordance with the district's non-discrimination non uh, policies and then would list those out. And I don't think it makes sense to state that in, you know, uh, in different policies, um, but rather to just put a statement in our non-discrimination policy that um, all other policies and procedures will be enforced in compliance with this policy. On the next section, I bulleted out a list of the various federal and state non-discrimination laws that apply to school districts. And this section uh, affirms that we are gonna comply with those laws and with the requirements under those laws. And again, just to try to make this accessible, I included a very short summary of the protections guaranteed under each of those statutory schemes. <clears throat> and if someone had a question about, for example, well, what does Title IX guarantee? What are the protections provided under that? They would have a very short summary there. Uh, the next section is our equal opportunity employer uh, statement. Um, this previously appeared in a G series policy, and again, I just it is removed and it is now included in policy AC. The next section, and I think this is really important to have a strong non-discrimination policy, is definitions or statements. What what is prohibited conduct under this policy? 
Um, and so not just a definition of what constitutes discrimination or harassment, but also examples of conduct that could constitute prohibited discrimination or prohibited harassment. The Title IX regs require uh, a school's policy to also include a specific definition for sexual harassment. We did have a definition for sexual harassment, uh, both in a G-series policy and a J-series policy. Um, and, and now it is uh, moved over and there's some uh, additional clarification here as to what constitutes sexual harassment. And then finally, we have a definition for what is um, retaliation, what kind of protected activities um, students and staff members can engage in without fear of retaliation. The next section identifies who is the compliance coordinator for ensuring compliance with this policy and with non-discrimination laws. Um, and through our, our discussions as this policy was drafted, um, we decided that the, um, the best uh, position or the best positions to designate as compliance coordinator were both myself um, as general counsel for the school district. And that's because um, part of my responsibilities are obviously to keep up to date with legal requirements and to help the district interpret uh, legal requirements um, but also Dr. John McKinney, our Director of Student and Family Services. And you can see um, listed there the responsibilities that together um, we will uh, jointly fulfill. Um, this is more of a high-level implementation of the policy. And so it's, it's um, for example, we will make sure that um, appropriate training is happening for staff, and we will work with Dr. Bates on that. Um, we'll make sure that the policy mechanics are appropriate and that they're working appropriately. And as we are overseeing investigations, if we would come across um, any part of the procedure that's, that just wasn't working, uh, we would recommend revisions to this policy. The next section clearly spells out what is the reporting responsibility for our district employees. And again, this is something that was highlighted in the new Title IX regs. Um, and what this section states is that employees are required to report to the compliance coordinator if they observe uh, any conduct um, or if any conduct is reported to them that could constitute discrimination, harassment, or retaliation. This section also um, clarifies that some conduct that might constitute discrimination or harassment uh, may also be conduct that needs to be uh, reported um, either to law enforcement or to the Department for Children and Families, and that those reporting responsibilities need to be fulfilled as soon as the reporting duty is triggered. Finally, this section um, also states that students, parents, visitors, community members, contractors, anyone who's part of the school community um, should also report conduct that uh, could constitute discrimination, harassment, or retaliation. The next section of the policy sets out our internal grievance process for addressing complaints or concerns that prohibited conduct has occurred. Again, we have some definitions in here. Um, I think that it's helpful to have a definition section because as you go through the enumerated steps in the procedure, just makes it a little more readable because frankly, it's not as long since you've defined all the terms at the outset. So we define prohibited conduct we define a complainant, and that would be anyone who's participating in or attempting to participate in the district's education or employment programs or activities. 
We define a formal complaint and how that can be filed and clarify that if we have a, a complainant or a victim who can't file a complaint on their own, that they can file through a representative. Uh, the best example of that would be an uh, elementary school student's parent filing a complaint on their behalf. A respondent is defined as um, a reported perpetrator of prohibited conduct. Um, I want to highlight the definition for supportive measures. Um, this is uh, the term supportive measures comes out of the Title IX regs. Um, interim supportive measures are something that, as a district, we had been offering to individuals who had come forward with a complaint of discrimination, harassment, or retaliation. Um, but in the Title IX regs, they're, they're specifically referred to as supportive measures. And it's emphasized that um, they need to be offered at the outset. Um, regardless of whether a uh, individual elects to proceed with the formal grievance process or not. And so um, we've defined supportive measures, but also listed a possible range. Um, there's a lot, there's, there's many options. This is not, um, an, this list doesn't include all possible options, um, but it lists some ideas of what we could offer to a student or staff member who comes forward with a forward with a complaint to make sure that they are able to continue accessing the educational environment or the work environment while the grievance process is playing out. Uh, the next section defines who investigates complaints. And so depending on who is the, the identity of the complainant and the identity of the respondent, we would have different investigators. And then finally, under Title IX, uh, under the new Title IX regs, they require that the individual who makes the decision as to whether your policy was violated or not has to be a different person than the person designated as the investigator. So for complaints implicating Title IX, we've identified in this section the um, individuals who will serve as the decision maker. We have listed here possible remedies that could be instituted at the conclusion of a grievance investigation. And then finally, who our appeal officer is um, for complaints. The next section goes step by step. Uh, I'm sorry, the next section is an overview of the grievance process. Um, in terms of things I wanna highlight, we do have a section that specifically addresses the effect of a law enforcement investigation while um, an internal complaint is being investigated. That is always um, a tricky matter because law enforcement wants to conduct, um, I'll use the term clean, they want to conduct a clean investigation. They want to be the first and the last person to talk to the victim, to the witnesses, and to the alleged perpetrator. However, we still have an obligation to complete a Title IX investigation and sometimes other um, uh, responsibilities as well, for example, to determine if our discipline code has been violated. So we, we always work with law enforcement. Um, we do everything we can to make sure that their interviews can happen first. Um, but sometimes there are uh, lengthy delays in a law enforcement investigation. And so um, what this section says is that the compliance coordinator, along with the district chief of police, would um, make the decision jointly as to the timeline for proceeding with our internal investigation. <clears throat> this paragraph here addresses um, a concern of bias or conflict of interest on behalf of anyone who's investigating a complaint and provides a procedure whereby someone else could be appointed. The next section 
sets forth um, our, a potential informal resolution process. That's something that would not be used unless both parties, meaning the respondent and the complainant, agreed to it. Um, and if they agreed to it and they both agreed to a resolution, the grievance process would not proceed any further. Um, and if there was an agreement, then we would proceed with the grievance process. The next section here, some of this language comes from the new Title IX regs. Um, which emphasize sort of the range of evidence that needs to be considered in a sexual harassment, sexual discrimination investigation. And so we list sort of the categories of evidence that, that might be considered. Uh, the Title IX regs also place a lot of emphasis on beginning with a presumption of, of innocence, just like you would in a criminal proceeding. However, um, we felt like it was important to also state the presumption that the complainant is credible, meaning that the complainant is telling the truth. And to emphasize that we will, that our investigators, our decision makers will not make determinations as to um, credibility um, or as to guilt until the conclusion of their investigation, until they have all the evidence in hand. And then um, finally, in the overview, we emphasize that um, if there's a determination at the end of an investigation that our policy has been violated, um, we will institute remedies as those are defined above. Again, that will allow the complainant to um, access the educational or work environment. Um, and some of those remedies uh, certainly could include discipline um, against a staff member, an employee, or any other person who violates this policy and the range of possible discipline is, is listed there. Uh, discipline is not a mandatory remedy. It's just one possible uh, remedy that could be instituted. The next section is step-by-step -step the grievance process. Um, and so it starts with the offering of supportive measures and that would be um, offered by a compliance coordinator or by a designee. So for example, a building principal might be working with a student or a family on supportive measures. And then the next step is to work with the complainant to determine if they want to file a formal complaint. The Title IX regs, um, the new regs uh, mandate that the complainant be given a choice, that they not be coerced into going through a formal um, grievance procedure. Um, and that if they don't want to file a complaint, they, they shouldn't be forced to do that. Um, and what we've stated in this section is that if that choice is made, if a complainant doesn't want to file a formal complaint, then the compliance coordinator would sort of look at the underlying circumstances and determine whether um, over the wishes of the complainant, it, you know, it is, is not clearly unreasonable to continue with an investigation anyway. That would be a very fact circumstance um, driven determination. But there is a method where a complainant chooses um, not to file, um, where we would potentially do a, a full-scale investigation anyway. Again, we've emphasized that timeliness is important with filing complaints because if there's delay, um, then it makes it the job of an investigator uh, more difficult um, because um, over time, evidence uh, memory of witnesses, um, they can fade. And so we wanted to emphasize that, that timeliness is important, although there is no timeline, there is no deadline to file a complaint. The next step is the investigation and it um, contains a clear um, timeline in which the investigation will be completed. 
Um, a subset of that step is these sort of additional steps that are required under the um, Title IX regulations for complaints implicating Title IX. And so there's just some additional steps in there that are required. Um, a Title IX investigation just looks a little bit more like a formal court proceeding than an internal investigation. There's certain notice requirements. Um, there's um, a requirement that the parties be provided with the evidence while still complying, while the district still complies with PERPA. Um, they are entitled to the investigative report. So there's a couple um, additional sort of due process steps in there that are spelled out in Section 3A. And then finally, there is um, an opportunity to appeal should either party involved in the process um, not agree with uh, the original determination. The next um, section emphasizes the confidentiality of investigations and sets forth how we uh, our retention for investigative files. The next section um, discusses training that will be conducted on a regular basis for our employees, and we are working on that training right now. We will have training on this policy rolled out to all staff at our annual back to school mandatory training. And we will also have specialized training for all of the administrators who are designated to serve a role in this process. So they will get specialized training on how to conduct investigations, how to interview individuals, how to memorialize evidence, how to write a report, um, the evidentiary standard of a preponderance of evidence, which is what we use in this policy. So they'll be getting specialized training on all of those things. Um, and then um, finally, um, the last section addresses public notice of our policy and where we will publish our notice of non-discrimination. Um, I want to go. Through, I want to go ahead and right, right now before we break and go through um, the other policies. Um, again, to the extent that we are deleting policies, those are because they're no longer necessary because we now have a comprehensive non-discrimination policy. Um, so that's the only reason they're being deleted. For the four other policies we're going to look at, they just contain unnecessary language with our new policy structure. And so the first one is policy GAE, which is staff complaints. And because this was a complaint policy, it included a reference to our old investigation procedure in policy KN. And so I went through that policy um, and took out the reference to our old investigation procedure, but then also some of the positions designated in our policy uh, no longer made sense. Um, there was also a reference to um, board regulations, which we do not have. Um, we do have administrative procedure, so just correcting some language there. Uh, JBCB is our industry transfer policy for students, and it just contained one reference, again, to the old um, non-discrimination investigation procedure. So um, we need to delete that out. JCE is our student complaint procedure. And again, much of this was devoted to complaints of discrimination and harassment. So as you can see, that's all stricken. And now the only language that remains is complaints about school rules. Um, this reminds me that when we met with the policy review committee, one of the reasons why I recommend a single policy is because if you have them broken out into staff and student policies, I think it becomes very confusing when you have what I'll refer to as cross complaints. So which policy applies if a student is lodging a discrimination or harassment complaint against a staff member? 
or if a staff member is lodging a complaint against a student. Um, that, that's just one of the reasons why I think it's better to have it in a single policy. And then finally, KN is where um, currently our discrimination harassment investigation procedure lives. And we're moving it out of KN and we're putting it into policy AC. And so um, with all that language stricken, um, right now uh, policy KN will just refer to um, complaints that may come from parents and guardians or, or members of the public. And, and the rest of the language um, is stricken again, is it because it's moved to policy AC. Thank you for letting me uh, go through this step by step. Again, it was a lot of work, um, but I think it's important to do, and it's important that that you know we are ready and prepared for the upcoming school year um, to to process complaints if they arise. And um, I also think that again, if if someone has a complaint, we're able to hand them a single comprehensive policy and say, hey, this this memorializes how we're going to address this. And this answers all the questions that you may have about what the school district will do um, now that you've come forward with a complaint. I, I think that's a lot better and allows us to be a lot more responsive. And I don't have any further comments at this time. Thank you for that. Um, and I would say that if anyone has any questions, just like we always do with um, the policies, that you refer those to Dr. Fulton um, so that we can look at those before the next time when we vote. So we'll just, oh, Dr. Sinclair, do you have a question? Dr. Sinclair, I think you're muted. <laughs> so we're going to direct questions to Dr. Fulton in an email or something like that. Is that the? Correct. You, okay. Yes, that would be the best way. And then he can get them to Ms. Um, England or myself. Okay. If we need to go over anything or look at anything. Okay. To our next meeting. Great. And I think I saw Mr. Stratton's hand up. This is more just a point of information. Um, what's really nice in this process of going through all this is the uh, policy committee met and it was both live streamed and put out on YouTube. So in the moments of uh, COVID quarantine for people like myself, I could actually go back and watch as well. So I just want that our fellow board members know it's there, but equally the public. And if you really want to see one hour of this discussion, also <laughs> there on YouTube. But that was for me as a board member that was helpful going into today's meeting. So agreed. I appreciate that. You're Thanks. welcome. Thank you. I'll just run through everybody else really quick. Reverend Guy, do you have any questions that aren't that you won't be directing to Dr. Fulton? I guess. <laughs> sure that we have a chance. Everybody has a chance. I guess I just wanted a little clarification if this also encompasses our bullying policy or if the bullying policy is still a separate policy. Yeah, that remains a separate policy. Um, complaints of bullying are not investigated pursuant to your discrimination, harassment, retaliation procedures. Um, those would be investigated in the same manner as like a student, uh, any student discipline matter. Uh, or uh, if there was a complaint about a staff member engaging in bullying, be investigated the same as complaints about staff members. Good question. Okay. That's all I had. Thanks. Uh, Ms. Borgman, do you have like a clarifying question as opposed to like a substantive one or? I don't. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And Ms. Hembry, I'll echo that to you as well. No, nope, nothing from me. 
Great. I'll just do a quick clarification. This policy um, obviously would not supersede or eliminate someone's right to file a complaint with the EEOC or the Office of Civil Rights with the U.S. Department of Education or with the Department of Agriculture, which also has jurisdiction over us because we participate in federal meal programs. So people always have the right to file complaints with those outside federal agencies that have oversight of the district. Yeah, thank you for that note. That is absolutely correct. We have policy language making that um, not only the statement that individuals have the ability to do that, but if, that if they do that, our um, investigation obligation continues. And so if you file a complaint with an outside agency, we will still continue and walk through our steps. You can choose to, to make reports to, to us internally, but also to outside agencies. We will um, have a new notice of non-discrimination that will be um, our public notice on our website. And it also um, will list each of those entities along with their contact information um, and emphasize that reports may also be made to those outside agencies. And those outside agencies conduct their investigations free of charge for complainants who file complaints with them. That's absolutely correct. Just saying it out loud now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for going through all of the, these. We covered from, looks like 5.6 all the way down to 5.16 in one fell swoop. So, Ms. Goodburn, thank you so much for all the work you did. Um, thank you so much to the policy committee with Jessica Henry and Ms. England. Um, we very much appreciate that. And we will move on to 6.1, which is comments from board members. Um, and I'll just run down the list. Uh, Ms. Henry, do you have any comments or questions or anything to add for this evening? No, just uh, thank you all for tolerating my children. I just got a text that one of them might have found everyone. So the joys of being at home with um, my children. That's my only comment. <laughs> it, it makes it more real for all of us. Thank you. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, Ms. Goodburn, do you have any questions for us this evening or final comments? I just wanted to thank Ms. England for her work on the policy on AC and all these different policies, the 11 policies that we looked at tonight. I just wanted to thank her publicly for her work. Thank, thank you. you. Reverend Guy, do you have any final comments or concerns for this evening? Just one comment. Uh, earlier in this meeting, as part of the consent agenda, we approved a new stair lift for East Antioch. And um, I was just reflecting when my children were in Pawnee as being one of the older buildings in the district as well, there was a chairlift in that building. There was no elevator back when it was built. And um, so the only way students who have mobility issues could get from one level of the school to the other level of the school was through this chairlift. And, um, and I realized that it's not just for students with mobility issues, it would also be for any staff people, even a temporary mobility issue of a broken leg and anything requiring crutches or knee surgery. Um, and then I got to thinking about the grandparents who might come for the school open house and have a walker and um, thinking about all those people who have to use this kind of clunky stair lift. Um, because that's the only option that's been available to put an elevator, to build an elevator onto an old school building. I know from my own experience in older church buildings that try to do this, 
it's um, outrageously expensive to try to add an elevator after the fact. And we have these schools that were built before ADA, and so nobody was even thinking about accessibility. So I just want to raise that um, as part of our awareness of why passing bonds are so important, because we have these older schools and we're doing the best we can. And I know East Antioch needed a new stair lift so that students and staff could get from one level to the other, just like they do at Pawnee. Um, but it is so crucial that we pass these bonds and get these schools rebuilt and renovated so that they are truly accessible for all of our students, for all of our staff, for all of the families that spend so much time inside of our buildings. So um, I'm, I'm glad East Antioch's getting a new stairlift, but I am looking forward to the day when all of our buildings can be fully accessible to all people. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Ms. Boardman, do you have any final comments or questions for tonight? I do actually, um, with the approval of the hand sanitizer through the CARES Act, um, I had some teachers reach out to me about the purchase of Kleenexes for middle school and high schools um, and the elementary school level. It's a little bit easier because at back to school night, we bring it all. Um, but with Kleenexes for middle school and high school, it's a little different. And so, um, Dr. Fulton, would this be something that we could consider um, including as part of the CARES Act? Um, I know a lot of teachers, you know, one teacher told me that she spends or she has to buy a box of Kleenex a week in the winter months um, for her students. Um, sometimes toilet paper is being borrowed. Um, to, you know, meet the needs of students who have a runny nose or something. So could we perhaps look at this um, purchase? You know, something that we can certainly uh, look at. Um, we have not fully developed the budget for the CARES Act yet because there's so many, uh, as of yet, you know, unknown potential expenses. We know, we have a lot of known expenses. We have probably some other sure. things that we're going to have to address as well. So we're trying to be careful in overcommitment, but it's certainly something we can look at. I know kids go through a lot of Kleenex, so. Yeah, I, I would definitely just ask that it be part of the conversation um, that we do a cost analysis on it because um, I know that, you know, teachers wanna make sure that, you know, a kiddo has what he or she needs. And so it'd be great if we could see if that could be included in that, that Federal CARES Act. Um, so thank you, I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to the librarians in Shawnee Mission for creating a diversity reading list. Um, if you'd like the link to that diversity reading list, it is on smsd.org. Um, and I believe it's on Information Central. Is that correct, Dr. Fulton? Do you know if it's specifically in Information Central? Or? I, I believe that it is. I'd have to double check, but yeah, I know it's up on our website, but I believe it is in Information Central. So I just want to thank the librarians for taking the time to do that. It's important. Um, and then also uh, Mill Creek Elementary PTA won a COVID-related grant today um, from TikTok. And oh my gosh, TikTok is like all my kids do all day, every day. So this is a big dog deal. So um, again, TikTok is, has granted uh, Mill Creek Elementary PTA a grant um, and each each family at Mill Creek will receive a pride box and the boxes support and promote mental health and social emotional needs. 
So congratulations to the Mill Creek PTA for receiving that grant from TikTok. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Stratton, do you have any final comments for this evening? Just a quick uh, thank you to the administrative team, uh, communications team for putting together plans A, B, C, D when it rega uh, regarding graduation. Hopefully we get to pull off plan A and uh, it's gonna be exciting to uh, see the graduates, assuming it all plays out well, but equally to uh, reconvene with some of our board members and staff and get to see each other in, in person. And lastly, I, I'm glad our new board members get to participate in their first graduation ceremony too. So hopefully all goes well and we get to have a wonderful time celebrating graduation in just a couple of weeks. Thank you. Dr. Sinclair, do you have any final remarks for this evening? I think I'll just add on to the thank yous and shout outs to the previous board members. I think that was nicely done. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to thank everyone for being here tonight and being so patient with me. Apparently I was off my game earlier. I couldn't find my notes. Um, and I just want to give a shout out once again to the IT staff for um, taking on the VPN issue and finding a workable solution as we move forward into next year. Um, my kids were two of the kids who were affected by the update that caused us to lose access um, in that last week and a half. And I will say the amount of uh, frustration all our families were feeling was real. And when you're already frustrated when that one little thing goes wrong, it can really just throw you off your game. And so it um, really emphasized how important our technology team is and, and getting it right for next year with regards to plan A, B, C, and D, however they end up rolling out. We know we need that technology working well. So that's useful. And uh, thank you again to the policy committee and Ms. England. I know that that was something that Ms. England was working on for quite some time. And I'm really glad that it came down the pipe for this particular meeting. So um, with that, I will seek a motion for us to go into executive session for personnel issues from Dr. Sinclair. So I move we go into executive session to discuss personnel issues pursuant to the non-elected personnel exception under COMA. The board will reconvene. Um, I think we need 30 minutes and maybe we'll take a 10 minute window between now and starting executive. So if we say it's 7.50 now, convene at eight and be done at 8.30. Okay. Okay. All right, I'll seek a second. Four. Second. Second. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Are there any opposed? Okay, hearing none, that's uh, seven zero and we'll see you all in 10 minutes at eight o'clock. Thank you everyone and good night. Thanks.